available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. Hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday, middle of the bowl season. Just had an early signing period. We wanted to talk about all that stuff. If you want to email us, you can do that, pac12podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at pac12podcast. And our website, where you can find all our old episodes, is pac12podcast.com. And if you want to leave a voicemail, you can do that too, 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of shorter show today, Dave. I'm a little under the weather, so we'll have to answer some questions uh, uh, the next episode. Yeah, Ryan is currently suffering from a wasting illness. Um, it's <laughs> been going on for about a week now. Uh, so that's why we're a little bit delayed. But you know what? These things happen, and it couldn't have been a – I mean, it's a, it's a fine time to you know take a, take a little hiatus. It's a mini, a mini hiatus. It's not like our usual hiatus of about three months in the middle of uh, like March. I don't know how you have three months in the middle of March, but we kind of did. Um, so, so that's all good. Uh, but yeah, we've, we we had good plans. We had plans to do an in person one because oh, yeah. yeah. we were both on the West Coast, and now now we're both on the East Coast. And uh, I'm pretty much like couch ridden right now at my sister's house in Alexandria, Virginia. But we're here. Dave's in Atlanta. I'm in Virginia. We're going to talk some Pac-12 football because no one else will. So we're going to have some East Coast guys talking about it. Exactly. And so what you're not going to get today are any sound drops or um, really high quality audio because I'm <laughs> the person recording it this week. Um, and uh, as such, things fall off the rails a little bit. Um, but anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so it was, um, I mean, the early signing period, which... I, it's not even really early, um, was this week. Uh, and what was it? Something like 68% of all prospects signed. Is that, is that the stat? I, it was closer to 80 of like the top, like two, four, seven, you know, like, like people that are ranked basically like 75, 80% of people signed. And I don't know if everyone expected it to go basically be take over for signing day. I certainly didn't. I, I don't think the USC coaching staff did. They they seem to treat it like an early signing period where most schools, you look at Washington, 18 or 19 guys, Cal, 18 guys. I mean, most schools looked at this as a, a huge opportunity. So I don't know. I, I, we were all just kind of kind of wait and see. Uh, but this seems to be, Dave, to me, if this is what the permanent thing is going to be, most people are going to sign early. And, and the, you know, the February signing period will be kind of like the leftovers. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is basketball does the same thing, but they have November and then April. It's not December and then, oh yeah, 45 days later we'll have another one of these. I, I just don't know what, what's to be gained by only doing it this early um, because I think you're basically just – you're basically taking February and just putting it earlier. That's that's all that's really happening. Yeah. But if you made this instead like September or uh, probably August to just avoid it conflicting with the season – 
I mean, then you're actually, you, you get the guys who want to, you know, the guys like basically any quarterback who commits early, they want to get it done and just be completely done so they don't have to worry about it going into their season. And there's like guys like that every cycle. And it's probably, I don't know, 20% of guys who don't want to do visit, who don't care about doing like the whole thing during the season. Um, you know, just judging unscientifically based off of like talking to guys over the years. Like there's a healthy percentage, but it's not 80% of guys. And then you would actually have, you know, a signing period in August that, you know, gets kind of the job done for guys who really want to get it done early. And then you have February. But this December thing, I think all you're doing is just, you know, basically taking the February signing day and just making it in December because it's not much difference the month and a half that you're gaining. I don't know what your yeah. take on it is. No, I agree with you. And, and we didn't know how it would play out, but when you look at what the coaches have to do, and if you're if you're in your championship game, if you're preparing for a bowl game, it's a whole different story. You're seeing coaches on the road during signing day for their bowl game, so it's like you're basically like if you were at you know February signing day, but no one's everyone's on vacation. <laughs> like yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on with the early signing period. So I think having it. Uh, it seems like there's there's a demand for it. I mean, a lot of people utilize it. So if you provided something and this many prospects signed early, it's there seems to be a demand. But the timing, I think, is what you have to change because, you know, you're talking about finals and bowl games and and players can't take as many official visits. You'd have to have earlier official visits and all that. So I think you can incorporate an early signing period, but like you said, it just needs to be maybe like August or something change when you can take official visits and don't put it in the middle of ball prep, which is one of the busiest times of the year for these coaches already. Yeah. And I don't, uh, so UCLA, I know um, they couldn't uh, do bowl practices. Um, they, they couldn't start like two weeks ago, like a lot of teams did because of the fires. But I wonder how much for like just teams across the country and across the Pac-12 where they didn't necessarily do a whole bunch of practicing over the last couple of weeks because the coaches were out on the road or, or doing all sorts of stuff. I wonder how much it impeded the actual prep for a, a, an actual football game to go do this recruiting stuff. Like that's why you don't, you know, you don't want a ton of this stuff happening during like what what should be like a huge amount of prep time. And also like this is a great time for, um, you know, especially new coaching staffs, but just coaching staffs in general to look at the younger guys in December, especially in that like first week before it becomes true bull prep where they're just doing, you know, working through their own stuff. So I, I don't know how much of that gets affected by having this signing period and having the coaches just out on the road or doing other stuff. Yeah, when you would see, like, if you watch, you know, ESPN and the different bowl games and you're showing, like, here's a war room in a hotel conference room yeah. that, you know, that these coaches have to kind of set up and like, get faxes in and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I think you'd want to avoid that if you could. Um, you'd like to at least, if you're signing a bunch of players, uh, to be able to be at home when you're doing it, not on the road, prepared for a bowl game. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, I mean, the, the other signing period, um, tons of guys signed. I think we're probably going to wait to do our, like, big recruiting recaps until it's all kind of, you know, we're deep into January and we're getting, you know, towards the end and we have a pretty good idea of how classes are all going to shape up. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, once the bowl game's finished, we'll we'll have a lot of questions to get to. Again, I apologize. We're not going to be able to do our normal two-plus-hour uh, show today. I just, my voice is not going to last, but we'll we'll... We'll recap the the one bowl game we've seen, the Las Vegas Bowl. We'll preview the rest of the bowls, 
in the next episode, we can recap those balls and try to answer some questions. But we, we apologize if you sent in a question. Um, we will get to it for sure. We're not like deleting them or anything. And then, uh, you know, maybe we get Biggins or Huffman on or someone, Dave, and, and kind of recap the whole uh, early signing period for the for the conference. Because it seems like it went pretty well. Washington's, you know, the, the top ranked player uh, the team, you know, program in the conference. Uh, but, yeah, we can do that over the next, you know, several weeks once yeah. the once the bowl games are over and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we do have some other news and notes to get to. Um, Oregon appears to have retained uh, defensive coordinator Jim Levitt, paying him a ridiculous sum of money for a coordinator. But they retained, uh, you know, maybe one of the top defensive coordinators in the entire country for one point seven million dollars a year. Where do you stand on this? Very big, and that's. Uh... It's usually you're talking about assistant coaches or one or two year deals always, right? And mm-hmm. then this was four. Is that am, am I mistaken on that? Yeah, this um, was four. And you know what's interesting about that is uh, I think Chris Cartman tweeted out that Arizona, because of the, I think it's the Arizona Board of Regents, maybe um, they can't offer anything over a two year contract. So it's competitive disadvantage for them. Yeah, and I think I know at USC they don't offer that. They probably can because it's a private school unless it's some like you know internal policy that you could change but that's a i mean that's a big deal so i think they really went out of their way to try to keep jim levitt there and keep that continuity and i you know that was the plan going in when you hire mario cristobal and you want to try to you know keep as much continuity as possible they obviously had that great recruiting class they wanted to keep as much of that together um and you know so that's the plan I, i don't have an issue with it if you really feel like I mean, he's head coach material, and you want to lock him up for a while. Uh, I think that's great. Um, but at least they kind of seem to be following through with their plan, Dave, as opposed to one of the other programs. Did uh, you know where I was going with I that? Loved, I loved it. I loved it. I was waiting for it every second of it, and it was so good. Uh, <laughs> the other school that had a plan uh, coming into this um, was Arizona State. They hired Herm Edwards with the full intention of keeping both their coordinators. Ryan, what happened to their coordinators? Um well, neither of them are there anymore, so neither that's of kind them. of yeah. They're both gone. They're, they both they both left. So that 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 didn't work out as planned. Um, so now you're in this position where Herm Edwards is now making coordinator hires. I don't know how much he's doing it himself, but now you've got you know no continuity at either on either side of the ball, and you've got a head coach who hasn't coached in uh, in in ten years and. I think in the early signing period they did horribly. Is that about right? I think they, they were like, uh, yeah, not great. Yeah. Um, I would I would say closer to horrible than good. Yeah. So, and we're not. And just to be clear, we're not trying to beat up Arizona State here. This is all this is all very much directed at Ray Anderson because this was none of this needed to happen. None of this needed to happen. Uh, you could have retained Todd Graham, and maybe you still lose both coordinators, but. One thing Graham's shown an ability to do over the years is hire coordinators. Um, and he's, he's shown a pretty decent eye for talent over the years. So, um, yeah, we're going to see how it works out with, with Herm. Uh, but that, not, a good, not a good beginning to the Herm Edwards era at ASU. I think Ray now we'll Ann- see. Danny Gonzalez from uh, San Diego State yeah. is going to, you know, so he worked under Rocky Long, I think, for a while. He's coming as the defensive coordinator. Antonio Pierce. So, you know, former uh, uh, New York Giant, he was a Long Beach Poly head coach for, I think, for the last four years or so. So we would see him around in the recruiting circles and stuff. Um, he comes in as their linebacker coach. Uh, 
So that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, at least you know that could help with uh, re- recruiting ties and everything in Southern California and Long Beach. But you know, I, I'm not saying it can't work, Dave. I mean, both of us are on record of saying we both think it's going to be a colossal failure. But you know, at this point, it's like this is the way you're going with it. Like you made this decision. Uh, we can watch and and make fun and be critical and and just see how it goes. But who I don't know, who knows? Maybe they'll pull something out and and it'll be be cool. It hasn't, I would say early returns are not favorable or positive, but, uh, you know, early returns don't really matter. It matters about winning games next fall. And, uh, maybe he can put some kind of formula together to do that. I just don't know. Yeah. And the other hire, um, at offensive coordinator is Rob Likens, who was the, uh, wide receivers coach this year. So I, I have no other information besides that. I guess that provides yeah. a little bit of continuity. Um, but, Oh boy! Oh I saw boy. some tweets. I don't. So I, I again, I apologize because I've just been a little bit out of it, but the uh, or a lot out of it. Um, there were some jokes going on about like which ESPN. I think I tweeted something about that. Like which ESPN personalities was he going to bring <laughs> in to be on the staff? And then some people were saying like the average age of his coaching staff was going to be like sixty plus. I don't know if that ended up coming to fruition if they got some older coaches and stuff. But that was one of the things I saw that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I... God, it's this. This is it's still comedic, but I could easily see this turning into kind of tragic comic pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's not going to be fun. Um, what? One quick thing for you, Dave, or I guess two quick ones. Um, just before we jump into everything, we, when we talk about signing day, uh, the, the SEC Network had some stuff going on, and I don't think anybody knew exactly how big the early signing period would be. Um, but ESPN was doing their coverage, the SEC network, the Big Ten network. The Pac-12 network decided not to cover this at all. And uh, a lot of tweets um, about that and about how, how they could just ignore this completely. And you're showing like volleyball replays as opposed to any kind of current analysis of what's going on. You know, one of the, you know, the bigger days of the college football calendar. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I mean, it's par for the course <laughs> with our delightful Pac-12 network that they uh, uh, basically had nothing for this. Um, I, I mean, I think it's it, just not anticipating um, whether or not something's going to be a big deal or not. Um, and I think that's, yeah, it's a missed opportunity. Um, I think the, the prioritization of the Pac-12 network for all these like lower level sports and not football. I mean, anytime you have a chance for football programming, you should do it. Yes. Um, and when you can't do that, when you when you fail to do that at so many different opportunities, it's just it's clear that they have a different set of priorities, or they're just asleep at the switch. Yeah, it's and I think uh, you know John Wilner talked tried to talk to some of the executives. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm at my sister's house and the dog is barking. Oh no, it's um, fine. At least my kids aren't here. <laughs> um, it was quiet here, and now it's not. I might have to move. But uh, so we're, oh, so we're talking about the the. The network and Wilner had talked to some people at the network and they decided to put stuff out on social media uh, instead. It's like, like you said, like this is you have seven networks. You can't find somewhere to squeeze in some some Pac-12 programming. Um, It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So this was something they really needed to to be on top of. And this is, you know, this is something you could own. You could have had, you know, someone at every, you know, 
LA school, somewhat at all the Arizona schools, for each of the regional networks doing stuff. I mean, there was a lot of opportunities to do something. And they, the fact that the Pac-12 network didn't, it shouldn't surprise any of us because we see this all the time. But it is disappointing. Yeah, for sure. Should we get into some recaps and some previews? Let's do that. All right. So we only have one game to recap, the, the Las Vegas Bowl, um, because I think the schedule is almost completely – between between Christmas and and uh, and New Year's Eve, that's when basically every other Pac-12 game is getting played. But uh, Oregon took on. I mean, should I should we do our sound effects? Like, should I just should I just give it a shot? You want to make do it up, make it up? I mean, should I just try? Yeah. It, you, whatever we try, we fail. You know, we got to just keep going. All right. So Boise State took on the Oregon Ducks. Quack quack. Does that sound about right? I like it. That's pretty good. Um, so Boise State won 38-28 in the Vegas Bowl. Um, really, really deceptive 28 points for Oregon because they scored 14 of those um, on defensive touchdowns. Uh, this was a horrific offensive performance for Oregon. Um, and I, I think a big note coming out of this one is that uh, Willie Taggart called the plays for Oregon this year, <laughs> and, it, and it showed in this game. Um, Mario Cristobal, Marcus Arroyo did not put together a, a, a sterling, um, sterling offensive performance. Uh, Justin Herbert was not quite as sharp as he has been in his return. Um, and, uh, Boise State was generally able to, uh, to take out, uh, to, 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 uh, sorry, I've got, um, automatic videos playing because the world hates everything. Um, oh, yes. Oh, it's, it's so awful. It's so awful. Um, <laughs> But Boise State uh, jumped out to a 24-point lead uh, early on, and it was pretty much done at that point. Oregon scored a couple of defensive touchdowns at the end of the first half, but this was ugly. So ugly. It was. I mean, Boise State was a well-prepared, well-coached team. You looked at the – I mean, if you don't know anything about football and you watch them, that's what you would say. And you'd look at Oregon and go – yeah, it looks like they probably had a lot of turmoil recently, and they just like, oh, wait, today's the game. We should probably go out and play. It just did not look pretty. And the fact that it was as close as it was, considering Oregon had to score those two defensive touchdowns within like two minutes of each other. At that point, I think they had 186 yards of defensive returns, like the fumble return yeah. off the failed like the only thing that didn't work for Boise State is the failed Statue of Liberty. Right. That the Oregon returns for a touchdown, and then a pick six in the end zone, a hundred yard return. So it was 186 yards of re- defensive return yardage, and then Oregon had I think 77 total offensive yards at that point in the game, and was only down by 10. So it was crazy. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, like watching off uh, Oregon offensively, they looked so out of sync. And yeah, some of it was Ugh. Boise State being. I mean pretty sharp defensively. Boise State's been very good uh, since, I think, uh, since probably like the fourth or fifth game of the year, they've been, you know, looking much more like Boise State. But, oh my gosh, this Oregon offensive attack. And I don't know how much of it was play calling, how much of it was just the turmoil in the program, how much of it was, this was such an early bowl game and they had so much stuff going on that they just didn't get a whole lot of prep in. I don't know, but... This was not not a great start to the Mario Cristobal era. Obviously, it's not a huge deal. It's a bowl game, and it's a meaningless lower-level bowl game, so it's not a, a huge deal, but certainly not the way you would have wanted to get started. 
No, and you, if you watched Boise State, they uh, they lost a close one to Fresno State, then kind of got lucky with the rankings and got to host Fresno State for the Mountain West Championship and then beat them out there. So, I mean, they, they've been playing well, but they, they looked so dominant in this game. Oregon is the team that's surging. Oregon's the team that people are expecting to do really good things next year. And I get that, the you know, that Willie Taggart was gone. But this was, I mean, it, besides those two turnovers, boy, he threw another pick in the end zone. Like, <laughs> they moved the ball at will. And then some dude named Leighton Vander Esch just looked like uh, <laughs> you know, Lawrence Taylor out there. He was just crushing everybody. Um, I don't know. I mean, and I think there was a leadership problem. And a couple points I want to make, get your thoughts on it. You saw, like, Jim Levitt coming over to Herbert after – he threw a pick six and like consoling him. So I don't, you don't see like a defensive coordinator kind of doing that. And you're wondering like, did they pick the wrong coordinator to promote as the head coach in this one? At least they retained Levitt now. Uh, but the other one, and I don't want to feel like the get off my lawn guy, the old man guy, but I'm the old man of our crew or two man crew. I didn't <laughs> like Royce Freeman speaking to the whole team before the game. You know, Christian McCaffrey last year when he decided to opt out of the bowl game, didn't show up and that's great like you can be supportive tweet out or whatever you want but to have Royce Freeman in the middle of all of those players and trying to fire people up there's got to be guys in that group who are jumping up and down going hey dude you're here you're healthy put some freaking pads on and come out with us one last time you know um if you're out you know working out in some other like getting ready for the draft that's one thing but you're here with us why aren't you just playing so I had a little bit of issue with that I don't know if you feel like that was a good thing or not I I can go either way on it. I completely get your point. Um, I'm fine with the guys not deciding deciding not to play, especially at running back. You know, you only have there's a, like a, there's a real hit count on how many you can take, and if you're spending them in a meaningless bowl game, those are better spent when you're getting paid millions of dollars. Sure, I, I get that. The talking to the team beforehand, I just I don't have like a problem with it. I just don't know how motivating that is to like guys being like, oh, but you're not. But you're not playing with us, so why uh, this? I, I don't know how much of a motivating factor it is, right? Them. And so I don't like whatever. A team is a team, and you know I don't know the internal dynamics of Oregon that well. So maybe you know him him being able to just like speak to the team before, and maybe that has some added impact. But for me, in that situation, I'd be like, well, you're not playing, so what do I care what you're saying right now? So that's my issue with that. The Jim Levitt thing. I mean. Uh, He's probably a better coach than Mario Cristobal. I mean, for what he does, um, I don't. I mean, we've got a little bit of evidence at South Florida that he's decent enough. I don't know how. There's a big difference between being a coordinator and a head coach. I think it's two different skill sets. I think he's an excellent defensive coordinator. Um, and then you've got the other thing too, which is he slapped a kid one time, which you just can't do. So. Um, I mean, he's probably a better coordinator than Cristobal was. I I think it remains to be seen whether Cristobal has the chops to be a, you know, a head guy. But there's so much more that goes into being the head guy in terms of, you know, public appearances, in terms of all the stuff that's like managing a program. That yeah, Levitt's a really good defensive coordinator. I I know Kyle Bonagora was on with us um a few, uh, about a month ago. Wow, uh, talking about Levitt as a potential head coach. I just I don't see much from his record at USF that leads me to believe that he'd be an excellent uh, head coach. Um, and he did have some years there. So, yeah, I could go either way on it. I think he's an excellent defensive coordinator, though. And I think, you know, using him as a resource 
would be smart for Cristobal. Um, and, you know, if he wants to talk to the team as a whole at different points, I don't see a problem with that either. Yeah, like I'm good with Levitt doing it. I just met with the, the Royce Freeman thing. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that's – and I – if a player – I'm always pro player. I try to always be pro player. Pro player. That's really if hard a player, to say. That's really if, hard yeah, to if say. Yeah, if he doesn't want to play, um, I get it. I just think do it like Christian McCaffrey did last year and don't show up because there are going to be people that kind of resent it. And you being there, it's the app. I think it would be the opposite of motivation. And um, I mean, this is a team that didn't cross midfield until on offense until what? Six thirty left in the third quarter. Like this, you know, obviously the offense could have used Royce Freeman. So when it starts going poorly and he's just right there, and you're like an offensive lineman or something, and you're like, man, we haven't crossed midfield. And you look to your right and you see him sitting there. That can't like make you feel good, you know? Like, yeah. if we had you, maybe it would help, you know? So I, it just seemed like I get it. You don't never begrudge, you know, begrudge a player for not wanting to play in the bowl game like this. I'm fine with it, but I wouldn't bring him around. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think I, I'm kind of like I, I think it's fine if he's there. I just wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't be like giving speeches before the game. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's the silly part for me. But gotcha, that makes sense. Um, all right, should we get to some previews? Yeah, that's uh, so. That's not a good start for our Pac-12, and we both, <laughs> um, we both picked Oregon to cover the seven and a half. And uh, are you saying we they were, didn't do that? Oh yeah, yeah, we right, were, right, 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 right. We were incorrect, and we, it could have been like literally. I mean, Boise should have won by a, a crap load more. Yeah, we didn't provide so. our caveat before the bowl games, but we should provide it now. Uh, bowl, I, I want to say like the volatility on bowl games in terms of point spread has to be so significantly greater than regular season games because motivation is so difficult to judge at this point. Um, and so like relative quality of teams, yeah, like the Oregon we saw in the last couple of games of the season, yeah, they probably should have beaten Boise State, but they're not the Oregon we saw in the last couple games no. of the season. Royce Freeman didn't play. Real, Willie Taggart wasn't there. And, you know, maybe we could have taken that into account. But, well, you don't pay us for our picks. You don't pay us at all. So there you go. Right. We, didn't, we didn't know the Freeman thing. So yeah. that uh, – but it shouldn't have made that big of a difference. But obviously, one team in, team came in highly motivated. The other uh, did not. And that's what you see. And that's – that's what my biggest issue with the bowl system is like when you take a month off, it's not like you're playing at the end of the season. Sometimes you keep it going and sometimes it looks like a completely different team. It's like, eh. but that, you know, it's part of the fun of it too. Right. All right. Okay. Uh, December 26th, the day after Christmas Tuesday um, at 10 30 AM Pacific time. Oof. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, Utah taken on West Virginia in the heart of Dallas Bowl at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Utah, oh, I forgot my sound effect. Um, thump. Is, that, <laughs> is that sort of right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, Utah is favored by six and a half. What? That seems crazy. That does seem crazy. I guess Will Greer is still out for West Virginia. Uh, he was their quarterback this year. Um, and I guess they looked pretty bad against Texas and Oklahoma to end the year. But that does seem nuts to me. Um, all right, so Utah, uh, obviously, uh, didn't have the best year, the year they would have liked. They finished horribly, um, losing six of their last eight. 
Uh, Tyler Huntley was in and out of the lineup basically all year after Arizona. Uh, Troy Williams finished out most of the end of the year. Um, they did play a lot of close games, like they lost to Washington State by eight, lost to Washington by three, lost to Stanford by three, lost to USC by one. So there's 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 a fair amount of what if I think associated with this year for Utah fans. Uh, but ultimately, they weren't as good defensively as they have been. They certainly weren't as good on the offensive line as they have been, and that seemed to uh, provide some issues for them. So this game. Tyler Huntley's supposed to be available, so or I, I think I think the last word we heard was Kyle Whittingham was optimistic that Tyler Huntley would be available. Yes. Um, so that could mean anything with coaches. Um, I'm going to go with them not to cover the six and a half. I'm going to take West Virginia here almost strictly because I can't see Utah covering six and a half against any kind of like really good team at this point or good team at this point or even like above average team at this point. Maybe I'm being a little. Um, harsh on Utah. I just, I'm having a hard time seeing the six and a half here. Yeah. Uh, I think both teams didn't have like the strongest finish to the season that you would have liked. Um, I think, I'm, but I'm going to, I, I got to have some faith in the PAC 12, Dave. I'm going to go with Utah here. I think they're going to win it by a touchdown. Just squeak it out. If this was like seven and a half, I know I, this is one of those teams. I think, I think kind of, uh, Kyle Whittingham could kind of get his team ready they didn't have the greatest, like a big signing day or anything. That tells me they were focused <laughs> on this bowl game, Dave. So they're going to cover. So give me the Utes in that twang of a. Uh, you know, I wish we had the sound effect, but I went with a deeper one. You went with more of the like bowstring. I went with the arrow <laughs> striking into the target. Oh yeah, I went more with the thunk. You went with the thunk. Oh yeah, I was doing more of the shooting part, and you yeah. were the. I think the our, I think our sound effects has more of like what you were saying. It's more of the. I think it's yeah. It's more of the shoot, like more of the like hitting, like through the air, cutting through the air, and then hitting the the wood or the target or whatever it is. We could we gotta upgrade. Maybe we could update some of our sound effects. We could have, you know, rivalry one. So it's like the arrow hitting a buffalo. So you hear the buffalo kind of screaming as the arrow hits it or something. Oh, That'd be good. The UCLA uh, USC one would be kind of rough, like just a bear like. Like a bear and a like a guy fighting. Yeah, what would that sound like? Like if UCLA <laughs> wins the game, like when we recap it, would it be like the bear just like tearing apart a human being? That sounds awful. That, that see that the genius of this would be like you said, like if we had we'd have to match up all eleven, you know, one on you know one on eleven for every one, and so like if you know if the the bear eats the man, you know. The Bruin eats the Trojan, and then you have like this blood curling scream of a bear, like, <laughs> like a buffalo, like you know, tromping on a duck, quack, 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 you know, like, or just, or just like the color red confusing a bear, like just, <laughs> just like, or like a tree just flummoxing a bear. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. That sounds like a hundred percent what we need to do. That's a, that's a good off-season project. Okay, right. so that's um, our sound effect people who helped us out like four years ago. Get on that. We need uh, we need rivalry sounds both ways, uh, you know, for a beaver killing a duck, a duck killing a beaver, you know, what? However you want to do this, we need those. So uh, both ways, every rivalry. That, that would be great. I think we start with every rivalry, but then if we had like yeah, build it know, out, build it out. A Bruin yeah. attacking a, a tree or something. Yeah, 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 I don't know. Like a bear versus a buffalo. That sounds great. Oh my God, that would be good. Okay, so rivalry games first, and then we need um, every other 
possible permutation of a team beating another team in the Pac-12. That shouldn't take you long at all. Nice. All right. <laughs> all right. Also on Tuesday, December 26th, at 6 p.m. Pacific on ESPN, Kansas State taking on UCLA. Brr! That's, <laughs> that's my bear roar. Was it good? Yeah, that was good. I like it. Okay. You're doing great. Uh, Cactus Bowl uh, in Phoenix. Uh, Kansas State's favored by two and a half. So here's what I know about Kansas State. They like to run the ball. They've run the ball two, 470 times this year and have thrown it like 240. So they, they're going to try to run the ball. You know what UCLA was bad at this year, Ryan? Um, stopping the run? Yes, correct. Um, so <laughs> a team that's built around running the ball versus a team that is built around everything but stopping the run. Um, so that's not good. The other side of it is uh, we're still not completely certain that Josh Rosen's going to play in this one. Um, he's going through the concussion, the concussion protocol. Um, from uh, from what he suffered in the last game of the year against Cal. So it remains to be seen whether he's going to go. Um, so just that uncertainty alone, and then also all the coaching turmoil. Chip Kelly's not coaching this game. He's not having a hand in it at all. Um, the defensive staff, uh, Demetrius Martin and Scott White, are both gone now. That's the linebackers coach and the defensive backs coach, along with Jim Mora, who is also doing a fair bit of the defensive coordinating towards the end of the year. So there's not a whole lot of continuity on that side of the ball. I don't know how motivated the staff is going to be, especially Jed Fish, um, given that he's not being retained. Um, and I'm sure he's had to spend several weeks trying to find a new job at this point. So, um, and that's no, I'm not trying to, you know, denigrate uh, Jed Fish. I'm sure he's putting as much effort as it, as he can into it. It's just, you know, it's, it's unrealistic to expect a guy, you know, who's, who's got, who has to look for a new job to like, um, you know, completely be, uh, you know, 150% focused in on beating Kansas State. So for all of those reasons, I'm going to take Kansas State to cover the two and a half here. Um, I think they're going to be able to run. And, uh, you know, if, if Rosen doesn't play, I think it could be a, a pretty significant Kansas State win. My, my goal going into these picks was to do whatever I could to pick opposite of how you were going to pick. But you laid out such a great there's so much analysis there, Dave. You know what you're talking about here. I have to go with you on Kansas State this one. We saw what happened with Oregon when you kept most of the staff together. It was an internal hire. It was a, a hire that was petitioned by the players. The players wanted this person. There was a lot of motivation there to keep this going, get momentum. There's none of that with UCLA. There's a lot of motivation for playing for Chip Kelly, but he has nothing to do with this game. Your interim coach is like that's not someone you're gonna like go to bat for and run through a wall for. He's leaving, so yeah. That I mean I don't know like, but who knows? You know UCLA could come out and just play like gangbusters and Rosen puts on some kind of show and throws for 550 yards. I just think the odds are that this is gonna be a Kansas State team that this is their Super Bowl and UCLA team that's like this is the next step to get to Chip Kelly. So I'll take Kansas State too. Yeah. All right, well then, uh, moving on, Wednesday, December 27th, this game is at 5.30 p.m. on Fox, uh, Arizona, uh, versus Purdue in the Foster Farms Bowl uh, in Santa Clara. Uh, Arizona's favored by three points over Purdue. Um, so Purdue's interesting, um, uh, head coach Jeff Brom. Uh, ending his first year, a spectacularly successful year for Purdue, uh, finishing 6-6 six and six in a bowl game um, after the program 
literally had a sinkhole develop on their field last year. Um, wow. which was just like the most beautiful metaphor for Purdue football um, <laughs> of all time. And uh, now they're six and six. Uh, they've got a lot of hope for the future. Um, you know, Jeff Brom actually built a lot of this on their defense this year. Uh, their defense was pretty decent. Um, and he's more of an offensive guy. So um, you have to like their potential to be, you know, not they're not going to contend in the Big Ten probably ever, but being a consistent like eight-ish, seven-eight-ish win team, I think is completely within their sights, um, and that's pretty good for Purdue. Uh, Arizona, obviously, the Cleo Tate show. Um, kind of hit some snags towards the end of the year, um, but he had a spectacular season, um, and he'll be he'll be you know he'll be putting on one last show against Purdue. I like Arizona to cover here. I think they're more talented. I think Khalil Tate is unlike anything that Purdue has seen in the Big Ten. Um, I think he's unlike anything most teams have seen. I think the Pac-12 kind of got used to him by the end of the year, but I don't know that other uh, teams in other leagues are going to be as you know prepared for what he's going to bring to the table. Um, now, maybe you know Purdue obviously has weeks of film to watch, and they've had weeks to watch that film, so um, maybe they're somewhat prepared. But I just don't know that like a Big Ten team is going to be able to you know, have that kind of institutional understanding of what Tate brings to the table that some of the Pac-12 teams developed by the end of the year. So I like Arizona to cover. I think they're going to score a good amount of points on Purdue. Um, and I think it's going to be a really fun game, but I've got Arizona to cover this by three. The uh, the Jeff, I like Jeff Brown. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's one of those kind of offensive guru dot guys. We saw him at Western Kentucky. I think they're going to be, same like you said about the Big Ten, I think he'll be a tough out. A lot of times I think their offense will beat some of the top, you know, better teams. Uh, you know, they'll probably be tough to be consistent and go, you know, seven and two or something in a big, ten, big 10 schedule, but they could go like, you know, six and three or five and four with like a win over Ohio state or Penn state or something like that. So I, I see them kind of getting there. Um, I like the way they, they've kind of turned things around this year. And here's the thing, Dave, there, this is Purdue, you know, Purdue chickens playing yep. in the Foster Farm Bowl. That's got to be high motivation. So wow. I'm going to take the upset here. I'm going with the Purdue chicken over the Foster Farms chicken. So is your strategy at this point mostly to pick against me just because I ended the season so horribly? And so you probably can't go wrong here. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I understand. Um, I understand. There's a, I have a couple rules, though, like. You know, I don't pick USA to cover spreads because you know that. I just don't do that. Um, Stanford, I, I get really weary. And that's a game coming up. I get really weary. If they're favored by anything significant, I don't like to have them cover. Most In most cases, I don't like Stanford to cover. I don't like USC to cover. But the UCLA one, I was just like, uh, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't pull the, I couldn't pull the trigger and uh, pick UCLA in that one. Yeah, I get I it. I picked them a lot. I picked UCLA a lot this year. And people on my board kind of get mad at me. Like, why? I'm like, well, I just think they're going to win the game or they're going to cover the spread. And they get mad that I don't pick USC to cover. But I've, you've been most, I've been mostly right. Like, USC only covered like three or four spreads all year. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on to Thursday, December 28th, where somehow two Pac-12 games are played at the exact same time. Um, that, that makes sense, though, right, Dave? Because you'd want to – it maximizes like two games at once that's – more people watching the Pac-12 all at the same time, right? Right, right. Isn't that exactly what you're going for here? <laughs> I, I don't see a flaw here. I don't see a flaw. You know what we should do next year is every single Pac-12 game in the non-conference season should be played at the exact same time. 
That's what that I would think. Be so efficient. Yeah, it'll be so efficient. We'll be, you know, we'll just be able to like sit there and and flip between, you know, twelve different games on at the same time and just never actually pay attention to a single one of them. It's going to be <laughs> fantastic. Um, first game, I'll just pick one randomly because there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, at six p.m. on ESPN, uh, number thirteen Stanford taking on. You know, I'm going to actually say it's at uh, number fifteen TCU because this is the Alamo Bowl in Texas. Um, and it seems like it's virtually always a Pac-12 team versus a Texas team, which is more or less a de facto road game. Uh, TCU is favored by three points, so they're getting that sweet home field advantage. Um, I, TCU, at the beginning of the year, um, they looked like uh, TCU of old. Um, they faltered a little bit in the middle part of the year, but um, this is a much, much, much better TCU team than last year. Uh, Kenny Hill has been an explosive playmaker for them. Um, and then on Stanford's side of it, uh, Bryce Love has also been explosive. But do we even know if Bryce Love's going to play in this one? I do not know. Um, I apologize. Uh, no, no. Pro- I, I, I quiz you like that. Um, I, I would have to imagine he hasn't announced that he's going to leave yet. Um, if he's going to leave, I, I can't see much reason for him to play. Um, but if he's not going to leave, then there might be reason for him to play. So we'll see. Um, I don't think there's been any sort of announcement at this point. Um, if he plays, obviously, that makes it much more competitive for Stanford. Um, he also was nursing the ankle injury through the end of the year. So, I mean, there's there are plenty of reasons for him not to play in this football game. Um, if I were in his position, I wouldn't. But then if I were in his position, I'd probably never play a football game because that seems scary and people hit you. Um <laughs> So anyway, um, TCU, I think, is just fundamentally a better team. Um, I think they've been a better team most of the year. Um, they have, you know, three losses, but, you know, they're, uh, it's, it's a loss on the road to, to Iowa State by seven, a loss on the road to Oklahoma, another loss to Oklahoma. I mean, th- this is a team that beat Oklahoma State on the road. Um, they're, they're, they've been a, a pretty solid good team this year. Um, and I think Stanford is a little bit more smoke and mirrors. I think they've improved over the course of the year. I think KJ Costello is certainly a lot better than Keller Christ. Um, but I think I like TCU to cover the three here, especially in a de facto home game. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the Cardinal. I'm going to go with Stanford. <laughs> they are an underdog. Now, I don't like picking them when they're a big favorite because they never, you know, David Shaw is never going to cover those spreads. He'll put them back, you know, but he can't not play KJ Costello. And we don't know what's going on with Bryce Love. Um, but I kind of get the feeling he's going to play. So he's got rest. His ankle was bothering him. He still ran the ball well in the Pac-12 championship game uh, at times. I, I'm going to go with Stanford, David, not just because I'm trying to go opposite you. But I thought that our last weekend, it should be a, do as many different picks as possible. We are tied one game over 500. That's about as boring as it gets. So I'm going to try to add a little excitement, Dave. I'm going to take Stanford here as the underdog. Love it. Love it. Um, All right, 6 p.m. on FS1, uh, number 18, Washington State. Is that right? Make me, I'm like coughing now. You make me laugh, and I was like, <laughs> uh, "Against number six, oh no, it was great." Number sixteen, Michigan State, in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Uh, Washington State is favored by a single point. Um, Michigan State. Here's what I know about Michigan State. 
they like to win very, very hideous football games. Like, ugly doesn't begin to cover it. They like to play hideous football. Uh, Brian Lewerke is their quarterback, and um, I don't know if we've touched on this in the podcast, but I watched Brian Lewerke in uh, high school, and you would have had to do some convincing to make me believe that he was a D1 quarterback, let alone wow. a Power 5 quarterback. So the fact that he has turned into not just a D1 quarterback, but like actually a pretty good one, uh, is further proof that I should uh, stick to like punditry or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Michigan State, um, they have been good when they've been able to keep scores down and kind of win ugly. They have been not so good when they've, well, given up 48 points to Ohio State. Um, they're, uh, but they're certainly better than they were last year. Washington State, um, the Luke Falk situation has been an interesting, interesting note. Um, he statistically, if you're just reading statistics, he looks like he had a fine year. Um, I don't, I don't think many Washington State fans would agree with you, um, and I think he's been an issue. Um, this offense actually hasn't been as good as you would expect from a typical Mike Leach offense. Uh, Washington State's been led largely by their defense, um, and uh, they got blown out against Washington to end the year. Um, they lost pretty big to Arizona. They lost huge to Cal. Uh, but they started off the year really hot. They have a pretty good win on their resume, uh, beating USC, and another one uh, beating Stanford. So there's there's a lot to like about this team. Um, didn't quite reach the heights that they uh, thought they might, but um, they are retaining Mike Leach. So that's something. That's yeah. something we didn't announce up, ton- up front. But uh, oh, he, sure, uh, yeah. He signed the extension. Yeah, uh-huh. agreed to an extension. So that gives him a little bit of stability. Um, gosh, uh, one point I... I I think I'll go Washington State here. I think they're a, a, probably a better, slightly more talented team. Um, but I do not feel confident in that in any way. I will say I think Michigan State, you know, true to their ugly style of football, they play better in ugly weather. And San Diego is the opposite of that. Um, so, yeah, give me Washington State here. I think they'll win a uh, somewhat of a defensive struggle um, against Michigan State and uh, pull off that 10th win. I kind of get the feel. I'm going to go with you on this one, Dave. Um, I just felt like when I've watched Michigan State play, they just didn't look good. And maybe that was just the games that I got to see. Um, no, and no, seen... they look bad winning. That's, that's, yeah, that's even when they the... win, they don't look good. That No, but if they look good, they won't win. They, they have to look ugly and bad. They'll <laughs> win football games. It's counterintuitive. And I was pretty high on Washington State at the end of the season. And... You know, obviously they just got boat raced in the uh, the Apple Cup, but we had some fun on Twitter with some of the some of the Washington fans that weren't real happy that we would like pick Washington State in the Apple Cup. And I, I think I tweeted somebody. I told them like, "Hey, man, that, you know, they just had a bad game. You, they'd beat Washington nine out of ten times, or something like that. You know, and just <laughs> get them all excited, get them all. Fired. No, you don't understand. Like, he's kidding. He's joking. And then someone thought it was you. And like, no, that was actually Ryan that said that one. It's amazing how people still don't understand that I very rarely, if ever, tweet from the Pac-12 podcast Twitter. <laughs> like, it's just you, like, carrying this entire <laughs> podcast on that Twitter account. I try to make you proud, though. I try. I, to I appreciate something. it. I appreciate it. Um, so like I, I love, we love to troll like the Washington fans. They did obviously, the Cougs didn't play that well. I think, you know, could it go poorly because Leach was flirting with the Tennessee job and, um, you know, they ended up signing an extension. Like yeah, I mean that might not sit well as 
you know, like you mentioned, Luke Falk not having like the greatest year, even though he broke all these records and all this kind of stuff. But I just kind of feel like it'll come together enough. It'll be a West Coast thing. It'll be a prettier game, which will go in Washington State's way and not an ugly game for Michigan State's way. So um, now would I be shocked if Michigan State like just rolls them and Washington State looks like absolute crap? Like I would not be shocked, but I get the feeling Washington State's going to win this one. So I'll, I'll take I'll go along with you even though I don't feel super confident and I do like to pick against you, I'll agree with you on this one and take Washington state. Yeah. And I think it is a true coin flippy type game. I think these two teams are pretty similar. So we will see. Um, all right. Friday, December 29th, uh, number 24 at, at 12 PM on CBS, number 24, NC state taking on Arizona state. Uh, is that, is that right? Devils. Look, I, I, I'm a Catholic. I don't know about this devil. <laughs> I don't know about these devils or that horrible, horrible sound effect I just made. Uh, in the, good. I thought that was one of your better ones. Uh, it was solid. Uh, in the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas, uh, NC State is favored by six and a half points. What's the coaching situation for this game? Um, who's Who's coaching? The Sun Bowl. I was Arizona hoping State. you knew because I don't. <laughs> so just put me down for NC State. I don't care. Like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Billy Napier's gone. So is Herm Edwards just going to do it? Where did we see that? So we saw that with Sonny Dykes. Um, he took over. Who did they play? He took over UTEP. Yeah. And, and in their bowl game, and then they got boat race. So he basically had, I think it was Sonny Dykes, he, he took over the UTEP job, I believe. Yes. And then um, and basically like him and some grad assistants like prepared for the game, and they got absolutely smashed. Um, I'm assuming that's what this is going to be, but I don't know. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, I literally just Google searched who's coaching the Sun Bowl for Arizona State. And it, it doesn't give me any any clarity on the situation. So I'm going to assume he is or that it's just some random like receivers coach. In any case. Um, We're so prepared. I, I, again, I apologize. We are, we are a joke. We are a joke of a show. Um, so, it's my fault. I'm like just so sick. It's like not good. Yeah. yeah. I usually rely on Ryan for all preparation. Um, and I just provide, you know, mystique. Um, so... Uh, Arizona State um, certainly finished the year fine uh, beating Arizona. And then uh, they fired their coach for no reason and then hired a, uh, a guy who hasn't coached in 11 years. So that couldn't have been a motivating factor for ASU. Uh, NC State was an actually pretty good team this year. Um, they were, I, I think, more than solid at different points. I mean, they looked like they would be, you know, not a huge contender, but they, they had a chance. Um, I think if you know if that Clemson game goes a little bit of a different way, uh, they lost that by seven. Uh, they lost to Wake by six. Um, those are both good teams this year. Um, they lost to South Carolina by seven. Their one like tough loss was at Notre Dame. They lost by twenty one points. But um, this was a really really solid uh, NC State team this year. Um, and I think against a, I, I I think a program in some form of turmoil just because yes. of all this coaching issue. I, I think I'm taking NC state minus the six and a half here. Um, I, I don't feel great about it because it's, it's hard to know what 
how the players are going to respond at Arizona State to everything that's gone on. But I think I'll take Etsy State just because I think they're fundamentally a better team um, and they don't have that sort of turmoil. Yeah, they're, you know, it's like I, I like this Arizona State team. I mean, they were picked to finish fifth. They finished second in the South. Um, they've got a lot of – they got soldiers. You know, I think they got some good soldiers there. But you got to have leadership. And, you know, Todd Graham, I thought – provided pretty good leadership this year he's gone you and there's a philosophy you know there's whoever the generals are they're coming up with some kind of game plan and dave and i are both on record not really agreeing with the the game plan coming from the administration at arizona state now we'll see if it ends up working out neither of us think it's going to um and not knowing all the details about what i mean it just from the top even though i like the players for ASU, uh, I just don't think they're going to be put in the best position in this game. And I, I you kind of look at this as going to be, no matter what the plan is going forward, this is going to be one of those situations where they're looking at the long-term goal, right? Like, I think we saw this with USC when Clay Helton took over and, like, fired bunch of staff. They weren't looking at the Holiday Bowl against Wisconsin a couple years ago as, like, the end-all. They were trying to get everything situated to go forward and and go on a run. And, and you know, to, they, they look bad in that game, and then they went on a run since. But after their 1-3 start, I think this is the same sort of thing where I don't think ASU is going to put a whole lot into this bowl game. Um, I don't think they valued it. They didn't value, you know, winning their last two games, beating Washington, uh, winning the Territorial Cup. They wanted to put something in place for the future and this whole CEO sort of thing. So to me, Dave, I don't think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on this game, so I'm going to take NC State, whatever the spread is. It's six and a half. I'll, I'll, I'll take them to cover that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's the smart move because I, I made that move. Um, you did the same. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, and then uh, later on that day, at 5:30 p.m. on ESPN, um, number eight USC taking on number five Ohio State in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Um, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Uh, Ohio State favored by a whopping 7.5 points. Um, so this is an interesting one. Um, Ohio State obviously has at least one truly horrendous loss on their schedule. Um, they lost to Iowa uh, 55-24 on the road earlier this year. Um, they also lost against Oklahoma in the second game of the season, 31-16. But in their games where they've won, uh, the 11 wins, they've been hugely dominant. Um, obviously, they only beat Penn State by a point, but uh, Wisconsin, they beat by six. Michigan, they beat by 11. Illinois, they beat by like 38. Uh, Michigan State, they beat by 45. Nebraska, they beat by 42. Maryland, by 48. Rutgers, by 56. UNLV, by 33. Army by 31, and Indiana by 28. Now, obviously, that's not a murderer's row, uh, but they've been they've been pretty dominant against teams that are, you know, pretty clearly inferior. And then Iowa is probably the one outlier where they were, you know, just, I, I would guess, pretty demotivated. I watched only a little bit of that game. But uh, USC um, is fresh off winning the Pac-12. Um, they are... Uh, playing their best football of late would you agree probably yeah i would say so yeah the last five games uh gone five and oh uh beat stanford 
in the Pac-12 title game. Um, not anywhere close to as dominant as Ohio State has been in its wins, um, but they don't have a loss as bad as that Iowa loss on the schedule. Um, seven and a half feels like a lot. I, I think I'm going to go USC plus the seven and a half here. Um, I, I think if it was like six and a half, I'd have a little bit more of a struggle with it, but I think USC can keep it within a touchdown. Um, Ohio State's really good, um, but how much of a demotivating factor is it going to be for them that they, you know, didn't um, didn't make the uh, the playoff um, after years of making it? Um, so I, I think I'll take USC to cover. I don't know if they win, but I think I'll take them to cover. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I, I usually go against USC, and I'll, I'll still I'll keep I'll keep with Ohio State in this one. But I, I see what you're saying. Um, I could see this being a close one. I think I think USC is a pretty good shot at winning a close game here. Uh, I don't see USC kind of blowing them out, but and I could see Ohio State doing that because, uh, like you said, that. But both of these teams are similar because they're both like the the ones that get most of the five stars in their conference, and they're a lot of times you play a game against a team that doesn't have as many athletes as you do. And now both these teams, you know, have a lot of athletes. So it's one of those interesting matchups because of, uh, if you follow the recruiting rankings at all, they're always like at the top of their conferences. Um, I like the way USC has been playing, you know, USC went to the, you know, Jerry world last year and played Alabama and got blown out, but they didn't, this wasn't Sam Darnold. I think the Sam Darnold factor gives USC a shot in any game. Um, but I, my gut is Dave that JT Barrett, who's played pretty well at times, um, is going to be a tough out for this USC defense. I think he's going to run the football. Well, um, I, you know, he'll, he'll make some passes and, and he'll throw the ball downfield too. Um, we've seen this USC secondary struggle at times and give up some big plays, but I think the real problem is going to be stopping him running. Sometimes Urban Meyer, when he gets up against it. He just runs his quarterback, and this is a bowl game with plenty of rest. I, I My gut is he's going to have a big day running the football, and that's why they might beat USC by like 9 or 10. So um, I, I might even like in regular life just pick USC to like win a close game here. But for us, I'm going to take Ohio State to cover. Right. You know, I'm just trying to win points with your message board. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, they all they just left. Oh, you are. No, they that's, loved you. You came over and that's that's all I'm trying to do here is is win points with the P. They uh but, oh, like I I think I got like really sick after I watched the thread for a while. Did it turn <laughs> did it go up downhill? Did you get or, really like, sick because you were watching that thread for a while? No, I wanted I wanted I wanted my content you know, the, the people on my site to I'm 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 always treated well when I go to Bro. For the most part, people like me there. Um, so I wanted—I didn't want people to hate on you on, on the P. Well, I think they were—I mean, they, they were hating because I was hating. You know, it's—it's it's like it's just a combination of the haterade. Um, but you explain—I think you explained your position and stuff, and you had said like, "Hey, you know what? Thinking back, I shouldn't have said that or something like." That. I think they appreciated that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I said, "Well, whatever." Uh, it was—it was a fun <laughs> time in the uh, in the world of in the world of. Um, stupid sports stuff yeah <laughs> we have one more football game to preview all right saturday december 30th 1 p.m on espn number 11 washington taking on number nine penn state in the fiesta bowl uh washington is like a ruff, ruff, right yeah very good is that right 
um, in the Fiesta I Bowl. Think, I don't think you did a sword for USC. Like they're what? Uh, USC taking on Ohio State. USC. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, pretty good. That's fair enough. All right, so Washington taking on Penn State. Uh, Penn State's favored by two football points. Um, Wait, Penn State is favored? Penn State is favored by two. Okay. Um, right off the bat, I'm taking Washington here. Um, I, wow. I think they're a little underrated because they didn't play anybody for like the first eight games of the year. But I think they've been, I mean, they've been pretty darn solid. Yeah, they lost a tough game to ASU on the road. They lost a tough game to Stanford on the road. But, I mean, they've been pretty darn good. And beating Washington State by 27 points in the last game of the year, um, blowing out Oregon, uh, blowing out UCLA. um, And they basically blew out everybody to start the year, too. I just, I think they're getting knocked a little bit because of their schedule. But they can't really, I mean, Beyond a, after a point, you can't really control who you play. You can't control that the Pac-12 was extraordinarily down in a lot of ways this year, um, and that this is one of the years where you avoided USC. I mean, this is a year where I would have liked to have seen that matchup, um, and we didn't get it because you know they lost a weird, weird, weird game to ASU, and then they lost to Stanford. But I think this is a really, really good Washington team. I think Penn State's really good too. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I just, I, I think Washington's just a little bit better. Um, watching the two teams this year, I just think they're a, a little bit more complete on both sides of the ball. I mean, I know Jake Browning is, you know, he's a top ten quarterback <laughs> in the league, not not yet a top eight guy, but um, I think he's good enough. Um, I don't think Penn State has like the all world athleticism on defense that generally gives him problems. Um, so. Yeah, give me give me Washington here. I think they win the football game um, and uh, certainly cover the two points. We uh, so our our buddy on Twitter, Andrew, he's P Dog two hundred six, loves to get on us if whenever we pick against or say anything bad against Washington or whatever. So just for him alone, I'm picking Penn State in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so P Dog, this is for you. So this is like our personal bet, okay? Um, I don't know what we're betting, but, uh, you know, tweet, tweet me. You can yell at me and tell me I'm an idiot no matter what <laughs> happens. But I, you know, I saw Penn state last year come out the West coast and, and play really well. Um, and you know, you, you could have argued should have won that game against USC. It was a crazy comeback, uh, that the Trojans had. It's weird when you watch, uh, this offense go, sometimes you're like, how is that even working? Um, but Trace McSorley, man, it looks like arm punts, but he gets the ball downfield, and uh, they make plays on the ball. So uh, I like the I like the way Washington is playing too, and I think I, I agree with you. I think they've been under underrated. I just I'm not having the the greatest feeling about the Pac-12 and what we put all these teams through, and I, I think there might be a level of exposure this bowl season. So I'm gonna take. Penn State in this one, and not not really just for you, P Dog or whatever. You know, I'm not trying to just troll you on this one, but I I kind of think Penn State's gonna gonna win this one, and then at the end of the bowl season, there'll be a few wins and more losses, and it'll be the Pac-12 kind of having to look at itself, going, all right, what did what did we do wrong? How do we correct this going forward? So I'm gonna take Penn State in this one, Dave. That sounds good. That's all I got. Uh, you got anything else? No, I think that's uh, 
I think that's good. So that's all the games. Um, my voice did hold out for the for the whole show. So, but we'll do a recap show. Hopefully, I'm feeling better. Well, did we have a lot of questions that came in? Not so many. Um, actually, just to touch on something, um, a lot of people weighed in on our question from last week, which is asking people, or from two weeks ago, asking people whether they root for or against the Pac-12 in the non-conference. Yes. And most people have at least some reservations about rooting for the Pac-12 whole hog. Um, yeah. Like, at, either it's a rivalry thing, or it's a few teams they just don't like, or some people have, like, strong, you know, inclinations against rooting for any Pac-12 teams because they're the primary schools that they're recruiting against. So it was actually yeah. a really interesting spectrum of answers. It's not like, there's not like pride where even Alabama fans, there's some SEC pride if Auburn wins the championship. Now maybe Alabama, you know, going to the playoff every year and and kind of running it. Maybe there's a little bit of, um, I don't know. It's, I guess it's maybe it's wearing off a little bit. You don't, you know, Mississippi State's not going SEC if the Alabama, if Alabama wins, but you don't really have any of that in the Pac-12. And then you know some, some will root for like, well, it'll help my school if that team does well too, sort of thing. But it doesn't seem like, you know, if Oregon was able to win the national championship, you know, a few years ago with Helfrich, when who they lose to uh, was it to Auburn or something. Yeah. Um, I don't think Washington fans would have felt good. I don't think USC fans or UCLA fans would have felt good or Utah fans. I just don't, you don't feel that where Vandy fans are like, Hey man, our conference at least won the title. You know, I don't think we have that in the PAC 12 for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I think that's fine. I mean, I, the SEC, like chanting SEC at people sounds really weird. I mean, if, yeah. you, if people want to start chanting PAC, no, 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 just chant POC. <laughs> Just chant POC at everybody. Yeah. Podcast of Champions. That'll show your conference pride. Uh, but yeah, I always found that a little weird that SEC schools do that, actually. Um, especially given some of the animosity of those rivalries. It just seems weird. Um, it does. So, yeah, but that was that was mainly the big thing. There were a few questions in there, too, that I think we can save for our next show. Okay. But, um, the, the other news was the uh, the uh, good news, positive news. We don't always bash on the Pac-12, even though that's what we cover. Is the the Sirius Satellite, you know, channel? There'll be a Pac-12 channel and stuff. And so I already started the campaign. Like, dude, if you got to fill 24 hours a day, two hours a week, podcast of champions, couldn't we would be in that? Now this is not the this is not our, our audition show because this is going to be like our worst effort of the year. And all of my my fault, but um, man, I, and people seem to be positive about that. Like, you need, I, I think you need some kind of Pac 12 commentary. It can't just be all coverage of, you know, the Olympic sports and all that kind of stuff. Like, you need someone talking about it. You know, you need some Paul Feinbaum ish action. And I think, I think we'd be a great addition to it, Dave. What do you think? I, I think we'd probably have to change our intro. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, Which is okay. I'm I'm open to that. And maybe our logo, but uh, probably yes. But other than those two things, I can't see a problem with this. I can't see a problem. I think it's perfect. Um, yeah, no, I think we should 100. percent I mean, we should probably take uh, I think a solid four hour segment a day. I think we could fill that. With, no, I mean, obviously that would be great. But just having some sort of presence on there, and and someone actually mentioned too, like. Um, is there like an hour, like for individual 
like here's the Colorado hour and you have like Adam Munster talk or some you know that would like be so great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean that I, people would care about that stuff. I that would get better ratings than probably most anything else that you would put on there if we had Angie talking Oregon State and RJ talking Stanford. Like I think that stuff would be really interesting. And I and I'm sure you need a lot of content to fill, you know, and maybe it's six days a week where it's like the Arizona schools are today and here we got you know, um, Cartman and, uh, Jason Shear, you know, whatever it is. Um, I thought that that would be really interesting stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that would be, uh, a good move for them. I don't know. I mean, given everything else we've seen from, you know, the Pac-12 in general, <laughs> I don't know that they will do anything that thoughtful and smart, but yeah, it's a good idea. I agree. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see what, what transpires from that. Um, Maybe our buddy, I'm guessing, you know, our buddy Ted Miller might be involved in that. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, I, I want to see Ted Miller be able to talk Pac-12 again. But we're out there. If you're anyone Pac-12 listening over your Christmas break, Dave and I are available. This is not what our normal show sounds like. So go listen to one of our other shows. And pay, pay no attention to, like, the little bits of shit talking throughout the podcast. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. We love you. No. We do. We do. We wouldn't. You know, we're the only, the longest running, only running Pac-12 podcast out there, right? Well, no, Wilner still does his like occasionally. Yeah, it's not not consistent, but he's on record as saying he would like to be like us. He aspires to be the podcast of champions. So, well, if he if he if he comes at the king, he best not miss. Is that, <laughs> is that right? No, he's not coming at us. He would. He you know, he he says that we do a great job. We and I he's. I mean, do you know a, a, a reporter that covers the, the conference better? I mean... No. Wilner's the best. He's, he's awesome. Long-time long time UCLA beat writer, John Wilner. He was. I didn't, I didn't know that. What was his... Uh, where was he at? I think that was Daily News, okay. I want to say. Yeah. That was back in the day. Like, I want to say that was like 13 or 14 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. So there you go. He does a he does a nice a nice job, and I think he was I think he was kind of I don't want to say I'm not gonna say he was a shill, but I think he was tried to always put it in a positive spin, maybe before or it seemed to have kind of lean that way, and now it's a little more about like you know he's I think he's advocating change a little bit more now I would say, and that's I think that's a good thing for the Pac-12. Yep, I agree. His his writing has gotten significantly more incisive of late which is great to see yeah all right well i guess that's gonna wrap it up i thank you uh dave thank you for uh putting up with me and everyone else out there listening thanks for uh dealing with my lovely uh flu ridden voice but uh it'll get better and after christmas and after the bowl games we'll have a much better episode maybe we'll do three hours or something i don't know we'll go crazy let's do 10 <laughs> Ten straight hours of podcast. You make me cough again. Damn it, Dave. I know. I know. Um, so are you closing us out or am I? Like, how are we doing this? Uh, I guess I'll do it. So that's Dave. <laughs> we are so on top of things. I'm like in my 12-year-old niece's room sitting on some sort of like bungee cord chair 
when she came in, she came into the house like a bat out of hell and like with the dog barking and my, and my wife in there and like, and I'm like, okay. So I was in the living room when it was quiet. I had to come up here and then she come, comes in here like a tornado. I have to like, shh. So it's been quiet though. Hopefully that, so that, that's where I'm sitting. If you could, if you could take a picture of me, it'd be kind of funny in this pink, pink chair with my hair all over the place and being sick and going to go about to take some medicine. But just to let you know be how the sausage is made that you didn't care. Uh, that is David Woods. What an amazing job he does at Bruin Report Online. And me with my adequate coverage of USC at <laughs> USCfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Podcast of Champions. And we will talk to you next time.